Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, as well as the book that started it all, Delay Don't Deny. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than denying myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 229 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Lucy Fisher. Lucy lives in the Bronx, New York, and she's on a work hiatus from her work in commercial real estate, but she also has a podcast called The Fast Life with Diabetes. Welcome, Lucy. Hi, thank you so much for having me today. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you, and I always love to talk to someone else with a podcast, because <laughs> also you, you're you a good talker if you have a podcast. I know you like Hopefully. to talk, talk about fasting. <laughs> yes. I, can, I can't imagine doing a podcast if you didn't like to talk, right? True. Yeah. Did you get those notes from your teachers when you were in school that said, Lucy talks too much? I didn't get that, but I did like doing debate and speech and all these other things, so that was... Uh, Highlight of mine, my uh, my report career. card always said Jen talks too much, so <laughs> the joke's on them now. So. 
Yeah. Well, you know, I like to start by asking what brought you to intermittent fasting and when was that? So I've had two introductions to intermittent fasting, let's say. So the first was in 2019 and I lived in Atlanta for a while. I moved to New York City and then I went back to Atlanta for a conference and I was staying with a friend of mine and she told me about intermittent fasting. She basically told me to do a 16-8 and she didn't tell me anything beside that. She said, you can have whatever you want in your fasting hours. You can have Diet Coke if you feel like it. Just do whatever you want. Just don't eat anything. I said, okay. And I didn't, at the time, I I don't know why I didn't do this, but I didn't do any kind of research. I just said, fine, that sounds good to me. So I did that and I was doing it in conjunction with Weight Watchers, actually. I was losing weight. I was doing it. But I I remember even telling her at the time, I don't think I can do intermittent fasting with diabetes because I have type 1 diabetes. And she said, well, I don't know. And we were talking about it and I was like trying to tweak it and trying to figure it out. It was hard and I was treating lows when I was doing intermittent fasting with diabetes. I, I still do to this day, but I was doing it with dirty fasting. It was like a real struggle. I did it for a few months and I lost some additional weight doing it. I couldn't maintain it. It was hard. It was hard to do it. Yeah. I was just, and I don't know why. I mean, I was doing it for a couple of months. I never thought to like, hey, look it up and see what, <laughs> see why is this so hard? Well, I mean, that's the thing. You know, it sounds so easy. Just don't eat for this much. But there's a lot more details yeah, than yeah. that, that that you really can help to learn about. So, And I think it was, and there's not, I don't have anything against Weight Watchers, but I think I was just overwhelmed because I was thinking about hours that I could eat and then I was tracking points and I was getting, I was really hungry on Weight Watchers. And I think it's a function of the fact that I'm constantly obsessing about food, tracking everything. The whole thing didn't work out. So That was in 2019. And then I found it again in 2021 because of you, actually. You were on another podcast that I listened to, The The Juice Juice Box. Box. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And you and and Scott Benner had been talking about it. And you were both saying, I don't know if any type ones are doing this. I don't know exactly how it would work because he hadn't heard of anybody doing it. And I was like, I wonder if I can do it. So then you said the, the magic words, clean fasting. And I was like, oh, I never heard of that. And then I got your books. I read Delay, Don't Deny first. And then I read Fast, Feast, Repeat shortly thereafter. And I jumped right in with the clean fasting. And I started with a 16-8. And then I, you know, just started shortening the eating window. And then now, you know, then I went to a 19-5 and now I do OMAD. But the clean fasting made all the difference. And I still do have low blood sugars during my fasting periods. And I do treat them with, I usually eat glucose tablets or something right. like that. You have you to have do to. it. You have, you have to, to do it. And there's there's no like, you know, does this break the fast question. You have to do it because you have to maintain the blood sugars that you need. So that's super important. Yeah. Yeah. As diabetics, we it's learn. It's medicine. Yeah. You learn early on. You can't be perfect in anything with diabetes. It's just like you got to do it your way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. So you do have the, the blood sugar have you figured out what causes the blood sugar lows during your fast? Or can you connect it to anything or just happens? So somebody on my own podcast told me there's 42 variables that affect blood oh, sugar. Wow. <laughs> and eating is only one of them. Everything can affect your blood sugar from stress levels to how well you slept to exercise that you've done during the day, even just general mood. Like right now I'm on the this podcast, my blood sugar is probably going to go up because there's whenever you get like you know, excited or you're doing high intensity workout or anything like that where there's like adrenaline, right. your blood sugar I was will thinking go up. That. Yeah. And your your body just pumps it out from where it was in storage, like dumps it because it's like, oh, you need something. Yeah. It's hard to say exactly what causes the low blood sugars, but I will tell you this. So with type one, and I use an insulin pump to manage my diabetes, 
and has all these different settings. There's one setting for a baseline insulin called basal, which is basically a slow drip of insulin all day long. And then you take insulin for meal times, and then you also take insulin for, you know, you have a high blood sugar or something like that. That's called your insulin correction factor. So the beautiful thing with intermittent fasting is I have been able to get my basal rates, which is in order to check your basal rate, you can't eat. You have to be fasting. So my basal rates are like on constantly being tested, which is great. So normally during my fasting periods, I can make it through a fast. In fact, I would say most weeks I get three or four days where I'm able to fast straight through without any low blood sugar. But like yesterday, for example, I had a low. I exercised a little bit in the morning and then it ended up hitting me later in the evening. And that's just how it goes sometimes. And I treated it. It's okay. It's 40 or 50 calories of a glucose tablet. Like nobody's going to die from that. Yeah. And I think it's important to, the, you know, what you're saying and, and explaining about the basal insulin that you have to have. Because I mean, sometimes people think like there's like some terrible graphic that started going around in the Facebook communities, I don't know, five years ago. Someone had written it on notebook paper and then people had snapshots of that. And then someone finally made a beautiful graphic about it, but it was terrible. It said something like at X hours of fasting, no more insulin is produced. Yeah, no. And I'm like, that's not how the body works. So I'm like, if it says that, then you can't take anything it says as true because we always have a baseline level of insulin. We just don't want to have constantly high insulin. So people get that really confused because our bodies, you know, if we're working well, if we have a functioning pancreas, we always have insulin coming out. And for you, you do not have a properly working pancreas. So you have the insulin pump doing that work for you. Zero insulin is not the goal. No, no. You always have a, a basal or baseline. That's correct. Exactly. Exactly. And there's no time unless you have diabetes <laughs> that you have zero st or insulin stops being produced. So when you see that graphic, everybody just ignore it because our bodies don't work like a timetable like that. Yeah. I mean, diabetes having type one, especially, I mean, type twos get the same thing if they have a continuous glucose monitor, but you can really see the impact of every little Everything. thing on your blood sugar. <laughs> yeah. We just had someone on the intermittent fasting podcast, which by the time this comes out, I've, I've left the intermittent fasting podcast with Melanie. By the time this comes out, it will have been months ago because we're recording this in early May. But in one of my last episodes, we had a question about medication and it was someone who was wearing a CGM and noticed that a, a new medication that she started taking made her blood sugar levels go crazy. Ooh. Like they were really, really high. And I can't remember, you know, what the medication was, what the whole story was. But because she had on the CGM, she saw it. Yeah. Yeah. It was 42 factors, 40, 42 variables. There's probably even more than There's that. There's probably more than that. Yeah. <laughs> I think she, I don't know if it was her that identified it, but she's also type one. She has another podcast and she said that she either counted or read it somewhere, but I believe it. At least 42. Like, Let's at just least say it 42. like that. Yeah. <laughs> There's at least 42 variables that can affect your blood sugar. And so also it's so important people will get their fasted blood work done and they'll get like a blood sugar number and they're like, oh no, last year my blood sugar number was 102 and this year's it's 108. What's wrong with me? I'm getting worse. We're like, no. No. Guys, <laughs> blood sugar changes constantly. Yeah. Minute to minute. Minute right? to minute. And you, who knows, when you drove up to your doctor's appointment, maybe somebody like almost hit you in the parking lot and you got all stressed out. Or you had to walk up, up the stairs. Yeah, walk up the stairs. Or I mean, it's just, there's a thousand different reasons why your blood sugar would be different. Yeah. Wearing minute a to CG, minute. Yes. Yeah. Wearing a CGM is really a powerful thing to do because it really lets you see the variability and you stop stressing out about it so much. Right, right, right. 
great thing about intermittent fasting is I actually came to it for weight loss, not for blood sugar. And then blood sugar management was the non-scale victory that I'm most thankful for. Well, let's explore the weight loss first, and then we'll talk about the the blood sugar part, because that's the part that really is important. Because again, there might be this misconception that, oh, you can't do intermittent fasting if you're a type 1 diabetic or even a type 2 diabetic. But let's talk about the weight loss. Tell us about your weight loss journey a little bit. Actually, I was thinking about this last night, and I've listened to pretty much all of your intermittent fasting stories podcasts, and then obviously Fast Feast Repeat and Delay Don't Deny, and you've talked about a million different diets. I have actually been on two that were not discussed or in your books. So I can't wait to hear it. I'll give you a brief history of where I, I came from. But so when I was diagnosed with diabetes, I was 17 years old. And I went to a naturopathic doctor and he said to me, you can prolong your honeymoon period, which means, you know, either no insulin or very reduced insulin. And basically you're, when you get diagnosed, they give you a little bit of insulin and it starts your pancreas back up again for a short period of time. And it's, it's a weird phenomenon. And most people only get a couple weeks, a couple months at the very most to have a honeymoon period. But he said, I can prolong your honeymoon period indefinitely if you have, he was basically prescribing to me a ketogenic diet. So I did it. I mean, I was 17 years old, which is like incredible because people, you know, adults have a hard time doing it. A kid was, it was tough. So I did that. I prolonged my honeymoon period for something like six or nine months. It was a long time ago. So you didn't need to take any insulin at all or you were taking insulin? I was taking just extremely small amounts. It was like less than a unit a day or something like that. But you were putting in very little because you were doing the ketogenic diet. So you were putting in very little excess, you know, from your food, no glucose from your food. So your body didn't have to manage a lot of excess glucose. Yeah. So I did that. And then the honeymoon period ended and I went back to eating normally and I was managing it with just insulin. And I was always like super active, cross country runner, lifeguard, swimming, played rugby. I mean, I was just always an active person. So I was able to kind of keep my weight under control that way. But as I became an adult and I just, you know, things sort of fell off a little bit. And it's it's especially hard when you have diabetes type 1 in particular and you're using insulin. Sometimes you use too much and you end up with low blood sugars. And some of those lo- low blood sugars are very scary. And you end up, I say, eating the whole kitchen. I mean, especially what you wake up out of a dead sleep at 3 in the morning and your sheets are all soaked. You're sweaty. You just, yeah. Dizzy. You've been sweating. Yep. And you yeah. just like you crawl into the kitchen and you just open it and you just eat everything in sight. So there was a lot of that going on. You know, I gained weight. And then as an adult, I was always like conscious of like the BMI number. So I'm four feet, 11 inches. And the high end of the normal range is 123 pounds. Beyond 123, I never weighed myself. <laughs> I get it. If you don't see it, it's not real. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My pattern was always 123 and then get to 113, 123, 113, six months up, six months down continuously. I cycled through low carb. I did Weight Watchers. And then when I was living in Atlanta, I have a good friend of mine who I grew up with. And she's always the one that introduces me to the these crazy things. Like she was the one that introduced me to dirty fasting, intermittent fasting. But anyway, so she told me about bikini body workout. I don't know if you've seen that or heard of that. I don't know. Now, I know there's somebody here locally that has a bikini body boot camp. So that might be what I'm thinking of. So I don't know the bikini body workout. It's a circuit program, basically. And you do like 28 minutes and like one day's arms, one day's legs. And it's just like seven minute intervals to get you to 28 minutes. And then, but they don't, she doesn't really talk about weighing. She doesn't really talk that much about food. She does have like a diet program that you could follow, but I never did. A lot of it's like picture based, you know, which I've kept to this day. I like taking pictures to see like body recomposition. That's a great way to to do it. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I think I went, I did that and I was like 123 and then maybe I got to like 110. I just had like a lot of muscle and it was good. It was a really good program, but you know, I couldn't do it indefinitely. A lot of these things you can't do it forever. So I did that. And then, you know, I came to New York and I was doing a couple rounds of Weight Watchers. And then my friend, Anna, she introduced me to this other program, a hypnosis program. Oh, I've done hypnosis. Oh, you have? Okay. Well, the kind that you listen to on your headphones, not like in person hypnosis, yeah, yeah. but I've done, what, what hypnosis program was it? It was Marissa Peer. I don't know if you've heard of her. No, I have not. I would have yeah. tried it, I'm sure. So. It, but let me tell you, it worked. That's fabulous. They never worked for me. I tried. Oh, really? I tried It, it didn't work forever. It worked for a few months. Like John Gabriel was someone that I read. He had a, a book, John Gabriel. It was all about the, I think, I think his, yeah, I think his was hypnosis. There was another one. <laughs> yeah, I would listen to the, That's so funny, but it did work for a little while. For a little while. And I mean, it was like, it was crazy. I would just eat like half of a mandarin orange and be like, I can't eat anymore. I'm done eating today. Like, I just it was, might not have been good at it, maybe. <laughs> no, I mean, I think I'm just very suggestible. So okay. that kind of thing can work for me, but it didn't, it didn't work for long. But so I gained weight. This is during COVID. And then I lost I was like 100 and I don't I can't remember 118 pounds or something and then I lost 10 pounds in like record time. Wow. And then after that I just regained it all and then I found Noom which is like Noom is based I think it's very similar to Weight Watchers in yeah, a lot I of ways. Yeah, so too. I haven't I haven't done it of course cuz it came out since I didn't need it, but I'm yeah. sure I would have. I would have tried it. <laughs> I know you can this will resonate with you, but like every time you do a new diet program, your enthusiasm is less and less and less. That's true. It, it's just really hard to get worked up to like do these things anymore. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium and specifically magnesium breakthrough by by optimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency. And, in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories promo code IFSTORIES10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's buyoptimizers.com slash IFSTORIES, promo code IFSTORIES10. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for clean eating, delivering pre-portioned and prepped quality whole foods with limited processed ingredients. Green Chef sends organic, fresh produce, responsibly sourced proteins, and chef-designed recipes in every box for satisfying, nourishing, and convenient meals that fit in beautifully to my cleanish lifestyle, and the food is totally window-worthy. Tonight, we're having barbecue sweet potato tacos with cabbage and carrot slaw, black beans, corn, and cheesy tortillas, and they come with Green Chef's chimichurri sauce. So good. Go to greenchef.com slash ifstories50 and use the promo code ifstories50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's greenchef.com slash ifstories50. And don't forget to use the promo code ifstories50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. 
So I had started at 123 pounds and then I did Noom and I lost like six pounds on Noom. And then I heard your podcast with Scott Benner and I was like that day, I was like, I'm going to try this. And then obviously I've never looked back. And so my weight now, I try to keep it between 92 and 95 pounds. And remember, I'm 4'11". Oh, so. wow. 92 to – see, that is like so much lower than you were saying before. You were going back and forth and one, between 13, 113 yep. and 123, and now you're 10 pounds below that just easily. Well, yeah. Let me tell you how that happened. Okay. I was like – every time I hit 113 pounds just normally, I'm like, all right, I'm done with this diet, and I'm just going to go eat whatever I want, and then you end up back at 123 again. This time, I was like – 113. Like, I just couldn't believe that. It was like amazing that I even got there without it being difficult at all. And then I remember hearing you say that you kept losing weight, even though you weren't trying anymore. Right? Right. Yeah. So I was like, I wonder if I'm going to keep losing weight. I really hadn't made that many changes. But over time, I did notice that my my taste buds really changed. I was eating a lot of high carb, just like a lot of sweets, which aren't great for you with type one anyway, because it's just no matter what people say, a lot of people say, oh, eat whatever you want and just take insulin for it. But it's like, there's so many variables in terms of getting your insulin right with the food because you have to know exactly when the food's going to hit, exactly when your insulin's going to hit. And so I don't know anybody who can do this perfectly. I certainly can't. So I started to remove a lot of like carb, high carb stuff from my diet, a lot of sweets from my diet. And then the weight, I mean, it just literally fell off. And I've been maintaining at this weight range since December with no difficulty. In fact, I threw away all my my bigger clothes because like, I'm never going to need them again. I would never do that before, ever. That's so fantastic. That really is freeing. I did that exact same thing. Just like you said, I never had done it before. I always would box them up and put them in the attic, and I knew they were there when I would need them again. But suddenly in the spring of 2015, when I lost the weight with intermittent fasting, I was like, I'm never going to need those clothes again. I just suddenly had the confidence that I could do it forever because none of the other things could I do forever. Yeah. And yeah. I knew it. I know. And it's amazing because it's since December, but normally I would have, the second I touched that 113, I'd be on my way back up again. It would never be like staying there for any prolonged period of time. And yeah, I mean, my partner, my boyfriend, he told me, don't throw all this stuff away because you know you're going to need it because we've been together almost 10 years. And I'm like, no, no, this is this is different this time. It is different. It is different. Yeah. And you know exactly what to do. And you're eating in a way that makes you feel your best. Like you didn't, you know, take out the sweets and the sugars because, you know, like you wanted to diet better. Yeah. For the first time in my life, I was listening to my body. My body's like, I don't want all these sweets. I don't want all these carbs because we know that you can't handle it. So it's a roller coaster for you and you can see it on your blood sugar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I have Dexcom a continuous glucose monitor and Dexcom has an app called Clarity, that you can actually download your reports over the last 7, 14, 30, 60, 90 days. And, you know, I scroll through and look at every single day. And of course, I still have days where it's not perfect. I still do ride the roller coaster because sometimes, you know, my settings change constantly, almost on a daily basis. So, you know, there's some tweaking that gets involved. And sometimes I'll eat something that, you know, I know isn't the best and then I end up paying the price for it hours or even it could be a day later. So sometimes I have that, like I'm just a normal human being. But by and large, my blood sugars are a very nice, you know, either straight line or just gently up and down in a normal range. <laughs> you know, I think that's powerful. And my wish is that everyone could have access to a CGM that wanted one instead of having to get them by prescription. It would be really, really nice for, I think, every person, every adult person who wants to should just be able to go and like, like you can get a glucose monitor if you want, like you can do the finger prick one without a prescription. We should be able to get a CGM too. Yeah, I can see it even in my partner, you know, 
and he he's terrified of needles. Otherwise, I would, you know, give him a finger stick and see where he's at. But I see him, he eats a piece of pie and then he takes a nap. He eats lunch and then he takes a nap. And I'm just like, it's your blood sugar. Your blood sugar is pretty high. Yeah. It probably, and then it crashes. Yep. And then it crashes. And, and that's when you need to take that nap. And so if you could see it, you would be like, oh, have you seen that new book? I haven't read it yet. The Glucose Goddesses book. I can't think of the name of it. Jessie something is her name. I can't, I'm like doing a terrible job here. And it just came out. But she talks about eating to keep your blood sugar steady. And I haven't read it yet, but somebody in my community was talking about it this morning. And it's on my to-do list after we get moved. I want to read that book. But she's the glucose goddess. She's on Instagram. So if you can find her there, anybody who's listening, you can see she posts all these graphs of her own blood glucose. I think she might be in France. I'm not sure. I just started following her recently. But it's what she eats like versus like in isolation. Like here's what happens if I have pie by itself. And it shows the huge up and down. And she's like, here's what happens if I eat a meal and then have the pie. Yeah. And just how, you know, it's combinations. It is. It and is. so like what I did with Zoe, you know, the work I, you know, with the, the CGM that I wore there. And Zoe teaches you how to combine things, you know, eating the things in isolation, like pie in isolation, like we just said, versus what makes it slow down as it enters your bloodstream. Yeah. No, that's so interesting. And you're right. It would be great for everybody to have. And God, can you imagine how many people would get diagnosed with prediabetes if they knew that their blood sugars were uh-huh. high? I mean, there's so much of the population walking around with high blood sugars and they don't even know it. They probably just think, oh, I'm tired all the time. Oh, yeah. If you feel terrible all the time and if you need to nap after eating, that is a sign that you need to tweak what you're eating and also when you're eating. True. Yep. <laughs> you know, in the book, Why We Get Sick by Dr. Benjamin Bickman, he talks about insulin resistance being such a problem because people are walking around with these highs and so their body keeps pumping out more and more insulin, which of course then leads to type 2 diabetes down the road because your body's just like, I give up. I can't. Knowing what our blood sugar is doing is really important, but I can feel it. I always know. Like I I can tell when I have a crash and just like you can identify it in your boyfriend. Yeah, 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 totally. You know what I find really interesting is I have a great endocrinologist and she came to me very, very highly recommended and she truly is the best endocrinologist I've ever had. Mind you, I've had this since I was 17, so I'm 41 now. I've been through... I don't know, over 10, maybe 15 endocrinologists, just because, you know, you move and they retire, you know, whatever. I've been through a lot of endocrinologists. Let's just put it that way. Never once has anybody said to me, try fasting, even to test basal rate, which I had to figure out on my own. I I would do basal testing on on occasion by myself and fast. But my A1Cs have always been pretty good. I usually keep them under six, but my last one was 5.3. And I think 5.6 might be the cutoff for diabetes. A lot of the extra shaving off some points from the A1C was because of intermittent fasting. And it's because during, because if I'm fasting for 19, 20 hours during those, those times, assuming, you know, my exercise isn't caught up with me or I'm not stressed or something like that, my blood sugar should be pretty close to flat a few hours after I eat. Cause you do, you're right. After you eat, you have an impact of that food in your, in your stomach for a while. This glucose goddess says it too. It's true. So after that, after maybe two hours after I'm done eating, blood sugar should be flat for the most part. I've talked to her about it and she's like, yeah, I like it. It seems like it's working for you. I don't know if she's going to recommend it to anybody else, but it would, if I were an endocrinologist, I would be recommending it constantly because it's so helpful. (laughs) And some are. There are definitely some endocrinologists out there that have caught on to the, the power of it and the science of it. And, you know, there's two books 
that are highly recommended for anyone to read. Have you read either Mastering Diabetes? You've read that one? Yep. Uh-huh. And then there's, of course, The Diabetes Code by Dr. Jason Fung. And of course, they each have a 180-degree different suggestion for how to how to manage it. Both have a intermittent fasting as a component, they do. though. Yeah. 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 I'm talking about the food part. You're right. Okay. They both yeah. have intermittent fasting as a component of it because that, I mean, there's no better way to, mm-hmm. to lower your insulin needs than <laughs> through fasting. But of course, Jason Fung leans towards the lower carb right. end right. of things, higher fat versus mastering diabetes is, you know, like, I think they're vegans, but they're type one diabetics. They are. Yeah. You know, a lot of people follow them with great success. I haven't gotten on the vegan bandwagon yet. I one of my best friends, her her and her partner are are vegan and he's a cardiologist and he, you know, he's made an entire career out of promoting being vegan for heart health, which I totally agree with and it's just Every, every time I see him, he's like, you really should try to be vegan. Have you read these Mastering Diabetes guys? Okay. I'm like, yes, I have. I know. I know. I just well, haven't gotten around to it yet. again, you know, there's that whole ish part of life. If you, I, I don't want to ever be a vegan. And I'm not, you know, knocking it. I'm not saying it's right for everybody. I'm not saying it's the wrong way to be because your body will let you know. But it's I, I don't have any pull to be <laughs> to be in anything. I don't want to be vegan. I don't want to be carnivore. I don't want to be low carb. I just want to eat the food that's delicious. Yeah, and that's exactly what I do too. Yeah, fasting lets me do it. I don't want to feel bad after I eat though. I had a day this past weekend. You know, we're moving, like I've said, and I'm having this feeling of like I better do all the things I want to do in Augusta before we move. And there's this really great brunch place. And Chad had never been there, but Will and I had been there. So I'm like, I really want to go to this brunch place, but it's super, super busy. So let's try to see if we can get in. So we went there. We ate at like 1130, which is very unusual for me. And it was totally window worthy, worth every minute. Then I was super draggy (laughs) in the afternoon. And then I'm like, I'm going to have a chai latte because I really love a chai latte. So we went to this little coffee shop that I love. I'm like, this is probably the last time I'll go to this little coffee shop in Augusta. So I got a chai latte. Then I needed a nap. <laughs> like I, I, I was like, well, I'm crashing because the chai latte, even though I'd eaten lunch, it had been a couple hours. And I know that it hit my blood, sugar went up and then crashed. And then I took a nap. Yeah. And well, I don't need a CGM to tell me what happened. I know. No, what yeah, you know. <laughs> and plus, especially when you get, when you have, Carbs in like a liquid form, it just hits that much faster. Oh, yeah, it goes straight straight to your bloodstream. And I'm it's like, mainlining sugar, basically. Like, why did I feel like I needed to do this? Why? I just wanted to experience it one more time. And then I was like, well, it really wasn't that great. I didn't enjoy it that much. Would I go back and do it again? I, yeah, I guess so. Just because <laughs> so I like to learn the lessons over and over again. Why? I don't know. You know, I think about this and I talk about this on the podcast with people too. Like, you know, nobody's perfect. Sometimes I eat a piece of cake or something like that, but it always serves to remind me why I do what I do and how I eat the way I eat. Because I know I see the blood sugar, I'm going to have to deal with it for hours, if not a day later, the fact that I ate a stupid piece of chocolate cake. And I'm just like, that's it. I'm not doing this anymore. And then I'm good for like a month or two. And yeah. that, you know what I mean? And then you have another piece of cake. I know. Then I got to remind myself again and I'm again like, and why? again. Why? Why am I doing? Yeah. Uh, maybe eventually you're like, I'm kind of at that point with restaurant French fries, like where they always give me a stomach ache, unless they're at like certain really clean places, you know, where they don't use the gross fry oil. So I'm like, why do I keep getting French fries at this greasy spoon place here at the beach? I know they're going to make my stomach hurt. I'm not going to have them anymore. I'm not. We'll see if I can go with that forever, but. <laughs> 
I just really, really, really like French fries. So it makes me mad that they're using bad oil. I know. I hear you. <laughs> you remember, I don't know. If you, are you old enough to remember when McDonald's used to fry their fries in beef? lard or like something i don't know well it was when i was one, so okay so i don't i don't know when they switched they might have switched in the 80s okay so yeah. yeah but i don't know but they changed you know because we were going to all these heart healthy quote oils that are really not it would be better if they just kept them in the beef fat but <laughs> i would like to try a restaurant that has their oil, their fries fried in beef fat <laughs> probably would not make my stomach hurt i know right anyway i can make my own oven fries with olive oil and they're just fine so yeah so we, we learn over time how we want to feel and keeping that blood sugar steady really is the best way to do it and we, we don't do it because we're on a diet we do it because we want to feel good you know i've interviewed quite a few people for my podcast now and that's always for all of them the number one reason why they they fast like everybody's like yeah i love the weight loss but the better part is the blood sugars are steady because you just feel so much better when you're not on riding the blood sugar roller coaster i can't explain to you and you have a normally functioning pancreas so your blood sugar swings are not nearly what mine can oh, be oh i'm certain of that yeah yeah i mean i can go if i'm not managing properly or if i'm eating just whatever i want all day long which i've done for years and years and years this is like the first year i've ever done it not this way is give myself too much insulin, be at 40, which is like, you know, sweating and just uncomfortable. Then you eat too much because when you feel like when you're at 40, it's an emergency. You know, you're just, you have to get sugar in. I mean, there's been times where I gave myself too much and just sitting at the table, my partner's like just bringing food to me because I just can't get it back up again. Anyway, so you go for 40, then you go up to 300 because you ate too much. And then when you're at 40 and you're eating the whole kitchen, the last thing you want to do is give yourself more insulin, even though you know you should, because you're eating way beyond what your low you blood sugar calls for. You know it's going to respond too high. Yeah. So then you go up to 300. And then guess what? Then you get annoyed that your blood sugar is 300. Then you start giving yourself too much insulin. Then you go back down to 40. And you do this all day long. It could happen over several days even. Yeah. I can imagine. And I will say the day after that I had that <laughs> that day where I had the brunch and then I had the latte and then I also ate dinner and I had just made some key lime pie. So I had some key lime pie Yum. and I had been on, it was so good. <laughs> I had been on that roller coaster up and down. Then the next day was such a hard fasting day. It's so hard. Like I woke up and at 930 in the morning, my stomach is growling and I'm like, I am starving at 930 in the morning. Look what I did yesterday. And so I actually did have to really push through and, you know, I'm fat adapted. And so you know, I don't have a lot of hard days now, but that day was a hard day and I needed a nap the next day. I was tired and draggy. So I paid the price, not just the day that I did it, but the next day too. But, you know, sometimes people will have days like that with intermittent fasting and then they just kind of quit because it would have been easy for me to just eat at 930. And then now I'm stuck in that eating all the time cycle again. And then days go by and now you're no longer fasting, but you don't feel good anymore. So I knew the only way to feel better was to fast until dinner. <laughs> Yeah. So that's yeah. what I did. Pushed through it. Yeah. I pushed through it. And then Monday I felt great again. I was back to normal. But we don't want to be on that roller coaster. We want to get off of it. And you're off of it. Yeah, I'm off of it. And you know, it's one of the th struggles I still have is if I get low. So this is how I kind of handle my low blood sugar. This is my low blood sugar strategy. Sometimes like I'll get low right after my eating window closes because I gave myself too much insulin to cover my meal. In that case, I got to eat something and it might even be like a banana or something like that, something more substantial. So then I'm like, all right, sometimes I reset my window. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just say, you know what? I have diabetes. 
This is how mm-hmm, it goes, mm-hmm, <laughs> you yeah. know, but sometimes I'll get a low blood sugar further on into my fast because maybe the settings aren't right or maybe my exercise is hitting me later or whatever. And so maybe I'll hit like 65 or even 60 and I don't see any insulin in my system. And then I'll let that ride. I'll turn my pump off, get the insulin drip off and let myself come up naturally. Sometimes, however, you know, I'll eat a couple of glucose tablets and then that'll, and you know how this goes, it sparks your hunger again. And then you're like, oh, I'm going to eat a whole meal right now. I'm hungry for dinner. And as a type one, I really have to push through those lows that happen in my fasting, especially if it's like further on hours into it. You let yourself get to like 65, 60, but not any lower than that. No, if I start getting lower than that, I definitely take a glucose tablet. It depends on how patient I am. Sometimes I'm just like, and sometimes the CGMs are off. By That's it. true. So I check and I'm like, oh, actually this 65 is 55 and I don't feel good. Do you calibrate it when it does that yourself or does it kind of? Sometimes it depends. It's always a little bit off. It can be always a little bit off. It's just. You just check it with a finger stick just to be certain. Yeah. That's a good tip. When I was wearing a CGM, the last time I was wearing it, I wore it for two weeks. I got one from Levels, which is a company. They don't sponsor me. I'm not promoting them, but they are a place that people can get CGM. They let me try one and it was great. I enjoyed it. But I found that in my fast, my blood sugar gets down to the 70s and stays there very steady. Yeah, just very steady when I'm fasting. Like in the morning when I have my coffee, you know, my liver's dumping some glycogen. My blood sugar, you know, stays up in the 90s while I'm drinking my coffee. And then after that, and then no more coffee. And then when my body flips that metabolic switch, I feel a little wave of hunger. And then 70s, the whole rest of the fast, and it's just very steady which That's is how perfect. it's supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. And yeah, I feel I, really good at the 70s. I start to feel a little bit low in the 70s, but that's because my body is calibrated to have something a little bit higher. When you're diabetic, it's all about you know how your blood sugars have been managed over time. And mine have always... I try my range now is 70 to 120. Okay. But 120 is like a high blood sugar for you. You know, mm-hmm. it really yeah. is. Yeah. So- like 120 is post eating for me. And it really doesn't go up higher. Like if I eat something that's really not right from... Pasta is something that my body doesn't handle as well. I do great with white rice. I do great with potatoes. Pasta, not as good for me. I don't know why, but <laughs> you know, we're all individual, but my blood sugar will go up maybe 140, 150, but it, it doesn't like shoot up. Yeah. So for me, you know, I try to keep it between 70 and 120, but a lot of times I'm hovering closer to the 120 than the 70. So as you can imagine, if I'm, once I'm getting down towards 70, it doesn't feel so great for me. You're closer to 70 all the time. When I'm fasting, I am. Yeah. Pretty much I'm below, I'm below a hundred all the time when I'm fasting, like when I wake up in the morning, like I never go over a hundred ever until after I eat. Yeah. And then, you know, but uh, you know, some things do spike that blood sugar. And, you know, when I did the Zoe, I don't have great blood sugar control, which didn't surprise me because even when I was a little girl, I knew that I didn't like to eat certain things. Like I didn't eat a lot of candy because it would make me crash and I knew it. Yeah. So I was not one of those kids that was always eating candy. I didn't want candy because I didn't feel good after candy. Smart. Well. <laughs> I didn't care. I didn't feel good either. I didn't care. <laughs> I didn't put two and two together. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I just didn't. I, I could tell that it would like, I don't know. I just felt the crash. I've just, I don't want to say hypoglycemia. I wasn't like diagnosed with hypoglycemia, but I was very reactive to the sugar. And of course that hasn't changed. It didn't get better as I got older. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it explains a lot about why I was on that that roller coaster and gaining, gaining, gaining for those years. I had those lattes all day long. Yeah. No, I'm sure. 
But I mean, really what the work you've done, it's really life changing. I really wish I had found intermittent fasting years ago because I think my blood sugar control would have been so much better. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad. And, you know, sometimes I feel like, well, here I am. I'm just a normal person. I'm not a medical professional, but, you know, I don't want people to follow my words as medical advice, right? But I want to open people up to the ideas and, you know, working with your endocrinologist who's giving you the thumbs up. And knowing that you can see it right there on your device, that that this is working for you. Yes, yes. I wish that endocrinologists would at least, I mean, I think what their fear is, oh, you're going to get a low blood sugar when you're fasting. And my response to that is, I get low blood sugars all the time. I treat them when I need to. Same thing when I'm fasting. Why can I not fast? But you also got low blood sugars when you weren't fasting. Correct. See, that's the part that I'm like, hmm. <laughs> you know, It's not like the not fasting keeps your blood sugar steady, steady, steady. Correct. You had more ups and downs when you were trying to eat the way that it was recommended. Yes. That's the part that's crazy. Yeah. I think for most endocrinologists, with a majority of their patients, I'm not going to be an average patient for anybody because I'm super into my health and I really want to have as low A1C as possible because I've already had plenty of complications from diabetes. My A1C has been pretty good over the years, despite the fact that I was just telling you I'm on the roller. I was on the roller coaster a lot. I think it was controlled as well as I possibly could until I found fasting, and I still have a lot of complications from diabetes. So I'm really just trying to manage those. But I think in most endocrinologists feel that their biggest fear is don't let people get low because we don't want people dying. But it's like you're going to get low anyway, like you said. Exactly, so. you're going to get low, and this way you're. I feel like you're less likely to get low. That's what your experience has been. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. I can make it three or four days most weeks without having to break my fast with like a glucose tablet or two. That's amazing. Normally during those 19, 20, 21 hours that I wouldn't be eating, if I were eating a regular on a regular schedule, I would be low all the time because you're introducing food and insulin into the equation, which are two things that are very hard to manage. Yeah. 
because of all those 42 plus variables going on at the same time. So let's talk about your experiences when you first started it in 2019 and dabbled and you were not fast and clean versus when you started fast and clean. Because sometimes we hear from especially, you know, type one diabetics, they're like, well, if I am not, if my pancreas is not working, then I don't have to fast clean because the diet Coke won't affect me. And you found a difference though with the clean fast. Yeah. Oh, one talk about that. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure whether it's the combination of, cause I would always drink like diet Coke and things like that when I was dirty fasting, like the carbonation and that sugar, you know, that the sweetener. Yeah. If that just like was causing bubbling in my stomach and just like activating hunger hormones. I don't really know what was causing it, but I was just starving. And, you know, I have really good willpower. So I was like, I can, I'll starve through this. But I knew that I couldn't maintain it. I just, you know, I was like obsessing about food. And then when I went to the clean fast, it's just, I love the idea of just, there's no decisions to make. I'm drinking water or I'm drinking sparkling water. That's it. That's, those are my two decisions. I don't drink coffee and I don't drink tea. So like those are off the table anyway, but I love the feeling of having my body just cleaned out. It's resetting. Even if I end up having to eat a glucose tablet or two or five during my fast, whatever it is, what it is. But for the most part, I'm just water in my system. I just feel so much better. I'm not activating anything. I'm not having to take insulin to cover anything that maybe I missed in the diet soda that's caused some caffeine that's causing me to spike, whatever the case may be. I'm, I'm just not. Okay. So that's it's, it's important. Just, it's easy. If the only thing the diet soda does is for those of us who are not diabetic, is causes us to release extra insulin, then you could make a case for, yeah, but it would be fine for them for type 1 diabetics because they're not releasing the insulin. But I really think there's probably more to the story. And your experience illustrates that because, again, there's so many complicated things going on in the body. And the cephalic phase insulin response is one little thing that, of course, happens for me. But who knows what it triggers in you? Well, actually you know, like I was being honest before, I said, sometimes I eat a glucose tablet and it makes me hungry. You know, it's like if you drink a diet soda or something, it's the same thing, even though the glucose has actual sugar in it, the taste of it makes Mm -hmm. you hungry. Mm -hmm. So there's more to it than simply the cephalic phase insulin response. For us, we definitely don't want that, but it's more going on than just that from the diet soda. So that's good. I wanted to talk to someone who was type one diabetic and get that out there to see, because I've heard from other people the same thing way back, gosh, years ago in the early days of the one meal a day group, probably the first couple of years, there was a type one diabetic in there. And, you know, of course we talked about not wanting to have the insulin response and that's why we fasted clean. And he talked about how he used to not fast clean with, he would do all the, the bulletproof coffees and all of that. And when he went to the clean fast, it made a giant difference for him. So I just remembered that. And I'm like, well, there's really a lot going on in the body and we can't just pinpoint it. It's this and this and that is all. But the clean fast does matter even if you're type 1 diabetic. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, I'll never go back to dirty fasting. I think dirty fasting for me is unsustainable. Maybe other people can tolerate it better. I can't. I think it's unsustainable. Really, it's you're missing out on some benefits, even if you feel like it works for you. And I've shared this before. When I first started, of course, there was no idea of, we weren't even talking about hormonal responses to fasting. We were just talking about, oh, this is a way to eat fewer calories. You know, I'm eating in a window, so I'm eating less food, so I'm going to lose weight. That's all we really knew or what we talked about. I lost my first 75 pounds with stevia in my coffee, cinnamon in my coffee, maybe a little bit of cream because everybody said it was fine, maybe a bulletproof coffee here and there. And every day I chewed gum. So I never, never 
fasted clean. That whole time, I always was, you know, dirty fasting. And every day it was a white knuckle. But I didn't realize it was a white knuckle because I hadn't done it the other way. I just thought, well, it's hard to fast, but I can do it because it's worth it because I'm losing the weight. I'm maintaining the weight. But then I started to regain. I was regaining. I gained like eight pounds back. Then I read the obesity code. And then I was like, oh. (laughs) And then I switched to the clean fast. And since then, I have just fasted clean. And I realized I had been white knuckling it. Even though if you had asked me, I would have sworn to you that what I was doing worked. It works fine. It's not a problem. This is great. This works for me. Gum works for me. Mints work for me. They did not work for me. (laughs) But I only knew that it didn't work for me after I stopped doing it. Yeah. And like if somebody's like on the fence, like, oh, I want a dirty fast. I mean, try it both ways for a a month. Yeah, or a month, month, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, that's why I have the clean fast challenge and fast feast repeat because people really think it's working for them. And I, th- I think if you tried it, it's not more deprivation. People are like, oh, the clean fast is so, you're a purist. You don't want us to have any fun. I'm like, trust me, it's more fun. You feel so much better. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> that's the one thing I want to get out there. I'm I'm the only voice out here who's really, I mean, there may be other voices quietly saying it, but of the main voices out, I'm the only one who's like, no, clean, fast, or bust. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's true. And I don't think I would be able to maintain it. I know I wouldn't because I already tried it the other way. It doesn't work. (laughs) You already tried it the other way. It doesn't work. I did. I thought it worked. So the people who are like, yeah, but it works for me, I just challenged them to try it and I bet they'd find And don't just do it for a day because if you've been doing it a long time another way, you might feel worse for the first week or two, which is why you need to give it time to let your body adapt to the actual clean fast. Then you'll feel so much better. You'll never want to go back. Yeah. And I mean, some people have, and I definitely had it, like a Diet Coke addiction and all this other stuff. So you're like detoxing from, you're coming off having that caffeine drip all day from the or whatever, the taste from the Diet Coke all day long, like that's hard to break it. That's probably why people feel so bad. But once you break that addiction and then you switch over to water, coffee or tea, whatever, it's just so much more intuitive and you just feel so much better. I actually had a giant withdrawal from stevia. Really? Yes. Like who knew? But my brain obviously was doing something in my brain that wasn't good. I mean, I was using stevia all the time, constantly. And it made me feel crazy to get off of the stevia. And my husband had always said, that can't be good. You know, you're using so much of that. And I'm like, it's stevia. It's natural. <laughs> it's great. The things we tell ourselves. Well, <laughs> and now I can't stand the taste of stevia, which is funny. I don't use it anymore. I'm not against stevia in your eating window if you love it. I'm not anti-stevia. Of course, not in the fast. You shouldn't have it. But I no longer like it. Just like you probably, if you tried to have a Diet Coke right now, I bet you wouldn't like it. I haven't had Diet Coke in years. Yeah, I wouldn't like it, no. No, I wouldn't either. <laughs> Definitely not. So who are some of the most inspiring stories that you've talked to on your podcast? What are some? Oh my gosh, I've had so many. I mean, just unbelievable. Type one and type two. Type one's very similar story to mine. You know, a lot of people that I've spoken to have, I lost 30 pounds, which for me was a lot. That is a lot on a four foot 11 body. It is. But I mean, some people I talk to, they've lost a hundred plus pounds the stories you hear about their A1Cs, like people are getting type two is getting diagnosed with an A1C of 12, 13, 14. Wow. That's so high. And then they bring it down. They're like four and a half now. I mean, amazing, amazing stories. But yeah, there's been, if you go to my podcast, you'll see every story. That's the thing that I love about the podcast too, is just, I'm so inspired by people. I can't believe the things that people do. I know the things that we've tried. Yeah. 
I'm just amazed at like when people put their mind to something, they just do it. And these people with type two that have reversed their type two or type one that have had really poor control of their diabetes. And they're just like, nope, that's it. I'm fasting. I'm going to clean up my diet. And this is, they, you know, this is the beginning where I change everything. And they do. I love that so much. It really is inspiring. That's why I love doing this podcast so much because everyone has differences and similarities, right? You probably saw recently the New York Times headline of intermittent fasting showed no benefit. Oh, right. Yeah, Did you I saw see that. that? Mm-hmm. And then some people were freaking out in my community. They're like, oh, my God, the New York Times. I'm like, look, I don't even need to read that study. I don't even care what that study was because we see the benefit every day. They compared an eight-hour eating window. The other group had like a 10-and-a-half-hour eating window. I mean, it's like, well, okay, number one, a 10-hour eating window and an eight-hour eating window are not that different. Right. And they weren't, you know, clean fasting. That wasn't part of it. I would really like to see a study with clean fasting. That would be amazing. The only really thing they were looking at was weight loss over time. And in every single measure they had, the group that had the shorter window had slightly better results. It wasn't statistically significant. So that was where the headlines came from. No benefit. And like, y'all calm down. Everybody was freaking out. I'm like, calm down. Have you had benefits? They're not imaginary. You know, your increased blood sugar control is not an imaginary benefit. So you didn't say, oh, well, the New York Times said there's no benefit. I guess I'll quit. Yeah. (laughs) I'm an extremely private person. And the fact that I've gone through the trouble of making a podcast to discuss this, come on your podcast, been on a couple other podcasts, like, you know, I talked to my endocrinologist about it. Please recommend this to your other patients. I believe so strongly in it. And I just know that this is like the path forward for me and probably almost every other diabetic out there. I don't care what the New York Times says about it. It's just, yeah. it's plainly not well, we true. we see them. You know, I, you're, what did I say? Your episode number, what is it? 229. I've talked to, on this podcast, 229 people now who have explained the benefits they've had. And so, you know, if you're only looking at will intermittent fasting, oh, and they were also calorie restricted in that study. The people who were in the eight hour window were only eating, the women were eating 1200 calories a day and the men were eating 1500 calories a day. And the people who were in the 10 hour window also had the same number of calories. So what that study showed was there's not a dramatic difference when you eat 1200 to 1500 calories in eight hours versus 10 hours. But to say intermittent fasting shows no benefit and people were really getting upset. I'm like, stop. If you look into it, that's not what this shows at all. So, you know, we are living it and our benefits are real. And those people that you're talking to that have lost 100 plus pounds, it's not because intermittent fasting only allows you to eat less food. There's so much more to it. Right. Right. And I mean, there's not just five people that I've spoken to that. I mean, it's just like the number of people that have had this exact same story is overwhelming. It is overwhelming. Yeah. And even if, you know, someone is doing intermittent fasting and they don't see the great weight loss that they were hoping to see, the benefits, the weight loss is like, think about, you know, big giant iceberg, you know, and the whole iceberg is massive and the massive part you can't see. The weight loss is that part of the iceberg that you can see, you know, above the surface of the ocean. But the part that's below is the deep, big part, the parts, that are, the changes that are happening inside. That's where the power really is. Yeah. Yeah. And if you said to me, you can do intermittent fasting, but you're going to gain all your weight back, but your blood sugars will still be good. Would you like to, would you continue? Absolutely. I would never stop intermittent fasting because of the blood sugar benefits for me. 
I would never stop because of the way I feel, you know, and just my weekend experience. And I talk about this a lot. So people are probably like, why does she continue to do it? But I, you know, anyway, I'm living my life. <laughs> I wanted to go to brunch with my husband and my son, and I did. But I never want to feel like that again every single day. Like, I'm not going to say I will never feel like that again, but I never want every day to be like that because that's how my everyday used to be. Before intermittent fasting, every day I felt like that. And I never want to feel like that again. Again, if I started gaining weight like crazy, I, first of all, I wouldn't say, oh, fasting has stopped working. You know, there would be another cause. There'd be something going on. Maybe it was hormonal. I don't know. But I will never stop intermittent fasting because of how great I feel every day yeah. that I do it. 100%. Yeah. Well, that's that's great. I love that you're getting the word out there. So tell people again the name of your podcast and how to find it. Yeah, it's called The Fast Life with Diabetes, and it's basically on every podcast platform that you can think of. I love that you're doing it. And so anybody, if you've got diabetes, type 1, type 2, or if you know someone who has diabetes, get them to listen. It's so great, too, because, you know, as type 1, I was kind of like navigating this by myself. When you had that conversation with Scott Benner, you guys were kind of talking about it a little bit, and I was like, how can people with type 1 get some sort of guidance on how to do this? Because you're kind of just out there sort of floundering. So part of my podcast, especially the beginning episodes are like how I changed my insulin settings and things like that. And like how my insulin needs decreased. And that's another huge non-scale benefit when you think about it. Cost of insulin is so expensive right now. So my insulin needs are like less than half of what they were previously. So if you're rationing insulin and trying not to, can't pay your rent or something like that, try intermittent fasting. That'll cut your insulin. Oh my God. I can't even believe that that's part of the conversation that people don't have enough money because they're having to ration their insulin. Oh Oh, my Lord. The cost of insulin is just sky. It's just through the roof. It's just really unfortunate, but I've, I don't think it needs to be that way. No, that makes me a little mad. A lot mad. It's, (laughs) it's all the middlemen in the the Mm, process. The system is broken. Yeah, Yeah, it is. Very much. We could go out and do a whole podcast about that. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) So we're almost out of time. What would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting? Or what do you wish you knew when you first started? Well, I wish that I had known that it was totally possible to do it as a type 1. And I wish that more doctors knew about it. But in order to start fasting as a type 1 diabetic, and this is just me speaking to type 1s right now, we can talk about type 2s as well. But For type ones in the beginning, when you get started, it gets a little frustrating because your insulin settings are going to be calibrated to a higher, you're eating more. So you're going to end up with a lot of low blood sugars and you're going to think, oh my God, this isn't working. I can't do this. I, this is not going to work for me. You have to give it a little bit of time. You have to start scaling back your insulin to match what you're eating and when you're eating. That's part number one. Definitely read your, your books, fast, feast, repeat. Like I don't ever buy physical books. I listen to them, borrow them from the library and then never, you know, see them again. I have bought a physical book for myself, which is highlighted, and then I bought it for basically all of my friends. I mean, this is just (laughs) very out of character for me, just so you know. So definitely start with you. And if you have diabetes, whether type 1 or type 2, talk to your doctor about it because they may have tips on how to like – alter your medication because you will need to alter your medication. Yeah, that's really important. And you need to let your doctor know. Sometimes people are afraid to mention it to their doctors because they think that their doctor will give them backlash. But number one, if you have a doctor who gives you huge backlash, you might need to look for a different doctor. Mm -hmm. But you never want to just go it alone. Yeah. And sometimes, uh, you know, from several people on my podcast that their doctors have been so supportive and so helpful that is a true blessing when you can find that. And you you really don't know how you, well, I mean, maybe you do know if, you, if you're 
doctor's kind of a jerk, but you don't really know <laughs> you until you talk to your doctor. A doctor who's a jerk, no yeah. matter what. That's what I'm yeah. going to say. There are amazing doctors out there. Do there are jerks in every profession? There are teachers who are jerks, principals who are jerks, doctors who are jerks. Find one who isn't. You'll be yeah. much happier. Yeah, they you will don't work know until you, you ask them. Exactly. You're a partners in your healthcare. You know, they're not the boss of you. <laughs> If anything, you're hiring them to help you. Correct. That's the right way to look so, at it. Yeah, that's yeah. The, way, the way I think about it, too. If you didn't like your plumber, you'd get a different plumber. <laughs> so the same thing, you want a doctor who's your partner. Well, Lucy, I love the work that you're doing. And so I hope that everyone will find you, The Fast Life with Diabetes, if you know someone or if you do have any type of diabetes. And thank you so much for coming and telling your story today. Thank you. And thanks for changing my life. Seriously. Thank you. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at resonaterecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast. I have missed these Friday night dinners. Mm. Hey, welcome to Harvey Gras! At these family dinners... Delicious, everyone! Dysfunction is served. Wah! I can't have you all messing things up for my entire adult life. Oh, I'm sorry. Do we embarrass you? It's already better than I dared to dream. They're extra. Let the wild rumpus start! And they're embarrassing. We know how hard it is to move on from the first girl that you ever slept with. Not the first girl who I ever slept with. Yeah, 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 right. You're a regular lady killer. I thought you said it was going to be boring here tonight. No! I really hoped it would be. But they couldn't love each other more. Mom and dad being totally normal. Wow. So, dinner next Friday, everyone? Wouldn't miss for the world. Dinner with the Parents, Season 1. Stream free only on Freebie.